All right. Okay. I'm going to give you a scenario. Give it to me. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm always ready. No, wait. Give me a moment to warm up. Okay. okay. I'm ready. How did you warm up? I just... Mm, just like... Mm, I rubbed mm, myself on the seat. Uh-huh. Okay. Exactly. That that chair, man, it sees a lot of action. Okay. So here, you have to, you have to answer this okay. question. Okay? I'm listening. So there's two scenarios and then a question. Okay. Imagine... That 1,000 people randomly selected from the U.S. population had unprotected sex yesterday. Okay. How many of them will eventually die from contracting HIV from that single sexual encounter? Now, wait. Think about that for a minute. Now, imagine a different 1,000 people. These people will drive from Detroit to Chicago tomorrow, which is about 300 miles. How many will die on the trip as a result of a car crash? Which of those numbers is bigger? The car crash. Okay. But I'm an educated individual. You are an educated individual (laughs) on such matters. So a study was done recently where, by the University of Michigan, where they asked participants those two questions. And the participants, their average guess was that for the HIV case, a little over 71 people per thousand would die from HIV. Whereas their guess was about four people per thousand would die in car crashes. Mm. So people are guessing that if a thousand people have unprotected sex, 71 are going to die from HIV. Mm. And if a thousand people drive 300 miles, four people are going to die from the car crash. Mm. So that's basically people are guessing that you're 17 times more likely to die from HIV from a single unprotected sexual encounter than to die from a car crash. Unfortunately for the participants, that's completely wrong and super backwards. So according to the statistics, which you know, you're 20 times more likely to die from a car trip than from HIV contracted from an act of unprotected sex. Mm -hmm. So then researchers were like, wow, why are things so off? And the hypothesis is that people are basically terrified of sex. We've become so stigmatized about STIs and disease that we are super harsh when Mm -hmm. we judge sexual activities against other types of risks. Yeah. So we've created a culture where sex is seen as something that's super scary and super dangerous and everybody tries to micromanage their sexuality and we try to teach abstinence only or all we teach is the danger of STIs and not pleasure, all this kind of stuff. So then the researchers were like, Okay, so how can we test this idea that sex-related risks are a lot more stigmatized Mm -hmm. than other types of risks? And they did a follow-up study where they wanted to try and make it a little bit more about like an apples-to-apples thing, where they decided that they were going to talk about people having different types of health threats that were transmitted but only one of them was an STI and the other ones were different types of diseases and then Mm -hmm. see kind of what the response was. So all of the options in this second study had the same story. Someone transmits a disease to someone else during a casual sexual encounter without knowing they had something to transmit. Okay. Okay. The two diseases were either chlamydia, which is an STI, or H1N1, which is the swine flu. Mm-hmm. Those were the two sicknesses. Okay. Then they had lots of different versions of those two diseases where 
there was either a mild outcome where you got just sick enough that you had to go to the doctor and then take some medicine, moderate outcome, which was the same, but you had to go to the ER first, a serious outcome, which was getting hospitalized and almost dying, and then fatal, which was dying. Mm -hmm. So only, so between chlamydia and H1N1, only H1N1 is the one that can either get you hospitalized and almost dying or can be completely fatal Mm -hmm. because it's super rare chlamydia gets that bad. Right. They had all their participants kind of go through all of these different scenarios and they had them say what they thought about the person who transmitted the disease. Mm. So you were rating that person on how selfish they were, Mm -hmm. how dirty and bad and immoral and dumb, you know, all these kind of things. And they said the results were super surprising. These people didn't know that they had it, right? They didn't know they were transmitting something. Right. So they were either transmitting chlamydia or they were transmitting H1N1. And they didn't know they had either. Right. Okay. Participants in the study said that... I mean, I I can already tell where this is going. The person who unknowingly transmitted a mild case of chlamydia, which is you just take some antibiotics, judged that person more harshly than people who read about someone transmitting the swine flu where the other person died. So if you said, okay. You dirty whore. I accidentally gave this person swine flu and they died. Or I accidentally gave you chlamydia and you just needed some antibiotics. Mm The participants in the study all felt that the person who transmitted that mild case of chlamydia were super horrible people mm-hmm. and totally forgave the H1N1 yeah. person. No, uh-uh. So the researchers were like, holy shit, we had no idea yeah. that there was like that much stigma around a sexual disease and that it's super unjustified in pretty much all cases mm-hmm. because many STIs are completely curable. And for the ones that aren't curable, there's super easy ways to get around them or to be treated. And even now HIV is something that's one with prep avoidable and two, something that is absolutely livable. Right. You know, I have a friend who's HIV positive. He has a super healthy sex life. He's Mm -hmm. super healthy as an individual. He has no traces of the disease. You know, I mean, it's, it's, so it's amazing. Right. They also were talking about, like, things like condoms and all this kind of stuff. And basically what they came down to is that if you transmitted chlamydia, people assumed that meant you had had prior sexual experiences, which made you a slut. Right. It made you someone that I could judge morally. Right, because you had unprotected sex. Right. Or I'm just gonna assume you, do you had sex and somehow got something Period. versus yeah. with the H1N1, you didn't necessarily have to have had prior sexual activity. So it wasn't really your fault. Innocent bystander type exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So they were saying that even if safe sex strategies were being employed, the one that came with potential prior sexual contact made people rate folks much more severely. Mm-hmm. So... Basically, they closed it out with stigmatizing behavior. It says stigmatizing behaviors does not prevent unhealthy activities from occurring. Mm -hmm. For example, the more that individuals experience stigma around their weight, the less likely they are to lose weight. Mm. And we Mm -hmm. know that to be true. Mm -hmm. The more you shame someone for their behavior, the more that it drives it into the closet. The more that it becomes this true, like 
disease almost because Mm -hmm. someone is shaming you, shaming you, shaming you, and you're going further and further and further into hiding and lying and trying to not be that person, which then consumes your thoughts and becomes this really unhealthy obsession. And that's how you get to these really horrible behaviors, which is why we're always talking about, like, don't let someone shame you for masturbating. Don't let somebody shame you for wanting to watch porn. Because when you start shaming people for their behaviors, they make unhealthy choices because they feel like they can't just be open about who they are. Right. So basically they're saying that we need to be a lot more careful about stigmatizing STIs. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I think that it's kind of a tough thing to walk because, you know, as an educator, you really want people to be aware of the risks Mm -hmm. that come with any activity. So whether I'm a bungee jumping instructor or a sex educator or someone that teaches you how to drive a car, I want you to be aware of the risks, but Mm -hmm. if I'm teaching you how to drive a car and all I do is drive you into a panic about all the ways that you could potentially die, you're going to be a horrible driver or you're never going to get behind the wheel, which happens all the time. I can't tell you, I'd say maybe 5% of the people that approach me for sex coaching Mm -hmm. have told me that they're so terrified of catching STIs, they won't have sex. And they basically become celibate and they want to know how they can have super duper safe sex so that they can start having sex again. And the answer is there is no such thing as super duper safe sex. There's just being as risk aware as possible. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you have to decide, okay, the risk is something I'm willing to do or something I'm willing to not do. But people are so terrified of the stigma that comes with the STI. People aren't scared of having herpes. They're scared of the stigma of having herpes. Yes, 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 yes. People aren't terrified about getting some bumps that you get some medicine and they go away. They're terrified of having to tell sexual partners and then being rejected. They're terrified of having to tell somebody that they care about and that potentially changing the way that they have sex. That's what they're scared of. It's just, I heard somebody recently say, people aren't scared of death. They're scared of dying. People aren't scared of being dead. They're scared oh, of the right. pain and the right. loneliness and seeing it coming or the terror. Right. They're scared of the process of dying. Right. And so I think it's the same thing with STIs. It's For the most part, people aren't scared of actually having chlamydia because mm-hmm. we all know that you get this weird discharge thing. You go to the doctor, they give you some meds, uh-huh. it clears up. Right. I mean, okay, yeah. you're good to go. But it's having to make those phone calls and maybe tell somebody or not telling somebody and then feeling yeah. guilty if they get it. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's this really challenging thing, which is why recently when we were talking in response to that listener who said that sometimes she likes barebacking. Oh, right. I wanted to make it really clear that if you choose to do that, mm-hmm. that's that's totally fine. Right. The only two things that come up with that is if you choose to bear back and then you do end up with something that's transmittable, you have a responsibility to right. respect the next person that you're with to let them know. Right. To also let them know people that you talk to that something did end up occurring mm-hmm. and that you're willing to take that risk on for yourself. Right. You know, like no shame if you don't want to use condoms. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. make sure that you're fully aware of here's what could happen to you. Right. Here's the conversations you might have to have and then decide. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not for me to tell you what's right for your body. Right. So I just thought that that was super interesting that people were basically like, oh, you killed that person. That's okay. Right. Oh, you gave them a curable STI. Yeah. You're a slut. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I mean, like this fear around sex mm-hmm. is just so rampant and it makes me so mad. It makes you so angry, I can tell. It's so mad. 
Well, part of that comes from abstinence-only training. Yeah. You know, you teach kids that sex is something to be terrified of. You could die. You could end up with a baby and ruin your whole life. You'll have no future if you get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And, of course, people are going to grow up with all of these really horrible neuroses Mm -hmm. around sex and their sexuality. And God help anybody who openly has sex around people that feel that much terror. You know, of course, no wonder they're shaming. It's because you've internalized all of this self-hatred. So I just thought that was fascinating. I'm going to post this. article was in The Atlantic. I'm going to post it on our website so you can go to sexgetsreal.com and check it out. Uh, I think that it's it's really, really interesting. And, yeah. I do, too. Mm -hmm. I totally believe it. You know, I mean, I even felt it myself because I talked recently about how I went to Planned Parenthood to get tested for herpes. Yeah. Because I had some bumps and it did come back negative. But when I was sitting in that Planned Parenthood and I started thinking like, okay, if this comes back positive, I'm going to have to have some conversations that could potentially Mm -hmm. be uncomfortable. And I'm going to have to potentially take some viral blockers if I want to have certain types of sex. Mm -hmm. And, And the thing that scared me the most was what if Alex doesn't want to have sex with me anymore? And how are people going to respond to me when I disclose that? Mm-hmm. It wasn't right. that I might actually have herpes. It right. wasn't that at all. It was now I might have to have these conversations oh, that God, scare me. And there's some rejection. And none of us like being rejected. Yeah. And, you know, so. And being stigmatized. Exactly. And say, oh, no, she's got the herpes. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because that's worse than having swine flu and killing yeah, somebody. <laughs> In this world. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, um, really quick, because we only have a couple of minutes. I have this new therapist that I'm totally obsessed with. Okay. And she's awesome, and she's been helping me a lot with a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. So, one of the things that I've been struggling with lately is I, I sometimes get, like, really super emotional mm-hmm. if Alex wants to do something with somebody else. Yeah. You know, like I, I start crying and I get really upset and mm-hmm. I have to work through all these really big feelings that are kind of overwhelming because it's bringing up all my personal anxieties and fears and stuff. Right. right? So it's talking to my therapist about that. And she goes, so what do you think your response is supposed to be? And I was like, well, you know, I mean, my assumption is that poly people are like, oh, yay, you have a new crush on somebody. Or like, oh, yeah. you're going on a date. I feel a little icky about that, but I hope you have fun. Right. You know, like that's the good poly right. response. And you read all these things about you should have compersion and be happy your person has this other person. And, you know, it's kind of like this bow on top right. ideal of how you're supposed to respond. And so I'm kind of saying that. And my therapist is like, why are you trying to be good poly? Why not you just be who you are? And I was like, well, what does that look like? And she goes, well, what if the way that that looks like is, hey, every time you tell me you want to like level up with somebody you're flirting with or you find somebody new, I'm going to have a really big fucking meltdown. Mm-hmm. And you need to find a way to take care of yourself while I do that because this is how I respond. <laughs> yeah. And I'll get over it and I'll be fine and I'll move on and then things will go back to normal. But... This is just what happens. Mm -hmm. And this is normal for me. And she goes, what if you did that? And I was like, that would feel really amazing. Because Mm -hmm. if you could just say that, if I could just be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just like freak out. And then I, and then I level out and she goes, you don't have to be like anybody else. You just get to be like yourself. And if you know, that's how you are, 
then you can just plan for it. Right. And I was like, you're blowing my mind. Because, of course, it's like... We have these ideas of, well, if I'm really good at the poly thing, and if I'm really okay with all this stuff, then mm-hmm. this won't bother me. Or right. I'll just go off on my own and figure this out, and, you know, like, all this kind of stuff. Right. And so for her to just be like, um, no, your reaction's super valid, yeah. and once you know that's your reaction, then you just work around it. And right. I was like, holy fuck, that saves me so much trouble! Like, now I don't have to change my emotional reaction. I just get to accept it. And, like, so I just thought that was really amazing. So for any of you out there who do non-monogamy in any way, if it's really hard on you sometimes, that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to do it like anybody else. Yeah. And you don't have to make it look all nice and easy and have a bow on top. And if you need to freak out, then freak out. That doesn't mean that you can, like, make your partner feel like shit. Right. But you just have your meltdown and be like, okay, I need meltdown time. Yeah. And then take care of yourself. Yeah. And that's what she said. She was like, either ask him for, you know, five minutes or a half an hour so that you can go call a friend and like super freak out. Right, right. Or just be like, okay, now it's time for me to freak out. And then afterwards he gets to go take care of himself. Right. You know, so it was just like. That makes sense. Yeah, doesn't it? It totally does. Yeah. Exactly. Because not everybody is like that. Like, you think you're supposed to be in a poly relationship, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, be okay with everyone being off in their own separate relationships or dates or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you come back to me, and I'm PJ Keen. Right. No. Right. That's, like, superhuman, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, the people who are... I think that what's happened is there are a lot of people who are super, really, super-duper poly, Mm -hmm. And or they've been doing it for a really long time, and then they write books about what it's right. like to be poly. And I think that sometimes for a lot of us that are either new to it mm-hmm. or that just have different reactions, then we start feeling like, wow, I must be doing it wrong. And they, I think they have, they've learned their techniques, you mm-hmm. know, and how to... How to cope. Yeah. Right. So it's become easier each time, and they've, you know, new findings about themselves emotionally exactly. and their partners emotionally. Like, okay, I'm cool. Mm-hmm. I can I can get through this. It's right. all good. That person still loves me. They're going to come back to me, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then you go out on your new dates, and then you're on the other side of having to deal with maybe right. your partner freaking out. Like, what's this new person? Exactly. I think it takes time. I do, um, too. I think that there's also certain types of poly that Mm -hmm. you hear about, like non-hierarchical poly. Nobody's more important than others. Oh, you're hierarchical poly. You prioritize someone over the others. That can be abusive. Yeah, like you have the base relationship or whatever. Right, Mm -hmm. like the primary relationship. Mm -hmm. So there's all these like labels for all the different ways you do poly. And I was getting kind of hung up on that. And Alex was like, why don't we get to decide our version of poly, even if it looks like nobody else's? Sure. and And I was like, Oh my God, you're so right. I'm just putting that out there. One, for anybody that's thinking about trying non-monogamy or who has, and it was really uncomfortable or it felt like a smashingly, failingly, you know, failure. You get to kind of define this for yourself. And even people who are experts or who are in the industry need help too. You know, so I'm super proud of the fact that I have a therapist who's helping me to work on my shit. It's awesome. Because we all need one. Yeah. You know, even Brene Brown, who's, like, one of the world leaders right now when it comes to, like, relationships and vulnerability, Uh has a therapist. Yeah. So, like, it's rad. And sometimes you just need help. And, yeah, my therapist has been blowing my mind. Good. I'm glad. Me too. Okay. That's all I have to say.
Awesome. Okay, so you can go to sexgetsreal.com if you want to share any stories or ask any questions. We would love to hear from you. No unsolicited dick pics. And you can go to (laughs) sexgetsreal.com to uh, either send us an anonymous message or to send us a message if you want to reply. You can also call or text us at 747-444-1840. Standard messaging rates apply. And this is Dawn. And this is Dylan. And we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yay. Yay. Bye.